3: Part of why I wanted to do this episode was that whenever I talk to Joanna Harrison, who I'm in conversation with today, we discuss what makes a real relationship. I'm not talking about real versus fantasy or made up, but rather the nitty gritty that makes a relationship, well, a real life one, instead of what we're often fed through films and sitcoms, and especially these days, social media. Joanna Harrison is the author of an excellent book called Five Arguments All Couples Need to Have, but she was also a divorce lawyer in a former life and is now a senior clinician at Tavistock Relationships and a consultant to parents and separating couples at the law firm Family Law in Partnership. I think it's fair to say she knows how real relationships can get. In this episode, We talk about why healthy arguing is good and couples who say they never argue might want to look at what's really going on. We also talk about how communication is, guess what, vital. And just why relationships are such hard work. I have to say, I've never laughed more during a podcast than doing this one. And that's because just before recording it, I had a huge argument with my partner. That's reality for you. If you'd like to listen to this podcast ad-free and before it goes on general release, please consider becoming a patron from just £3 a month or you can give a one-off donation via Acast Supporter. Both links will be in the episode description. Joanna, hello and welcome to our last episode of Series 6.
2: Hi there.
3: I wanted to start with asking you It's about something that really bugs me and maybe it says more about me than them. But given that we talk about what makes a real relationship, it's those couples that say things to me like, oh, we never argue. And always with a sort of cock of the head looking at me as if to say, if you do argue, then there's something a bit wrong with you. Now, given that Arguments is in the title of your book, it would seem to me that a real relationship is about arguing.
2: Would you agree? I think so. I think it would be... It's impossible and unrealistic to be with someone who you felt the same about everything with. And so the idea that there's a relationship without any conflict, it's just, I suppose, how it gets expressed. And maybe these are couples who say, we don't argue, but we deal with our conflict in other ways. And you wonder how those are. Everyone's got their different styles. But I get more worried about the couples who say they never, ever argue than the ones who occasionally do argue and then get it right or often argue and then get put it right between them obviously there's some kinds of arguments that are not to be encouraged where someone feels unsafe or at risk I'm not talking about that kind yeah no of course and we're talking a bit about
3: when does a relationship sort of tip from real to dysfunctional yeah but why do you worry more about the couples that say they don't argue
2: So it's the the under the carpet stuff, it's the things that get left, it's the sort of huffing and puffing or resentments. Where do they go? Do they go into our bodies or into our children? Or if tensions aren't dealt with between a couple, and I do think that some tensions that you can get better at dealing with as you get to know someone better and you get to accept each other more. But if you're carrying stuff inside, resentfully, I think that's really corrosive. And it sort of probably ends up somewhere else, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, I mean, I always think if they say they never argue, I think possibly one person is massively compromising. But I have definitely heard people say that.
2: I mean, you put it well, this like, is it me or is it them, which is always a question to ask in in any of this. But there may be so many reasons for not arguing. And it may come out as this light comment, oh, we never argue. But actually, underneath that, there's real fears about arguing. Mm. So everyone's got their own relationship to conflict. Maybe you feel much more relaxed about it. There may be couples who never argue because they're actually terrified to do so. They've Mm. never seen healthy models of how to argue. They don't have optimism that things can be resolved. So it's a starting point to be curious. What could it mean? It could mean a number of things.
3: Yes, I think you've hit on a really good point there. It's, I'm not afraid of arguing. As long as I know the other person is robust enough to take it, then if, if they're not, then I do start to have a bit of a problem. And obviously there are some things in relationships you have to let go because if you literally said everything that annoyed you, it would be quite unbearable. But going back to the title of this episode, what makes a real relationship? If perhaps we could start talking about some of the ingredients
2: okay so there's the different phases of the relationship there's the getting together which is important to have the relationship and then there's this developing and I think what's real about that or what I think we want to capture is that that isn't a smooth process that you have two different people who become increasingly attached and interested in each other but as they get Closer to each other, they also find out more about each other, and some of that looks the way they hoped it did, and some of it maybe doesn't. And I guess that's the bit that I'm interested in, I suppose, from working with the bits where couples don't imagine how things were or aren't working the way they thought it was going to, and it's perhaps a bit messier than they'd anticipated. Do you think a lot of it is down to expectations? That's
3: something that comes up ever so much in my Guardian column when we talk about not just a romantic relationship, but relationship with, say, in-laws or other members of the family, one of the first questions the specialist I speak to asks or first thing they mention is, I wonder what that person's expectations... Yes. Now, given that so much of what we see is in films and social media where, you know, they often try and show a realistic relationship, but it's often very sanitised.
2: So maybe our expectations aren't, very realistic. It's such an important question and a lot of what is to do with expectations is our own expectations that we don't really necessarily know about in ourselves. We don't know about them until they've been disappointed. So how could we communicate that to someone when we weren't really in touch with what it was and we've all got different expectations and these expectations go to the most subtle deepest down feelings to do with our families and our experiences and the hurts that we've had or the hopes that we have so expectation sounds like this quite nice word that you you might just sit down and say okay what are your expectations what are yours let's make sure they're the same but it's a much more kaleidoscopic complex process of working that out and finding ways to communicate that with each other And then, yes, often we find that we have got very different expectations, different ideas, different models. So you
3: were a divorce lawyer in a former life. So obviously you saw people when things had gone wrong. Yes. And maybe their relationship had got too real all of a sudden. Yes. I mean, if you were sitting down with someone now, what would you say to a couple at the beginning of a relationship about maybe what to expect? What's normal in inverted commas and what isn't? When I was younger, people used to say relationships are really hard work. Mm. I didn't really understand what that meant. I, I certainly do now. I remember thinking, well, it sounds like work. When I used to watch movies where it was all lovely and not like work because, of course, the credits rolled um, the moment the couples got together. So what would you say to this imaginary couple of mine who are about to embark on a lifetime together?
2: This idea that relationships take hard work is true but there's a lot of learning that you have to do on the job and I'm not sure that you can do all the work at the beginning but I think and and this is what I've tried to convey in my book which is that there's more work involved in certain things than you think and and, and that's what my five arguments centre around so you're going to have to do more communicating than you think and and that's going to involve having to get to know yourselves better and it's going to be harder sort of dealing with each other's family ways than you think, probably. Sharing out work between you is going to be harder than you think. I mean, this might, I wouldn't want to be a real doom monger to this couple, but I suppose it's just having an idea, look, this is normal. There's things you're going to learn about each other that are frustrating, but there's always an opportunity to put that right. And as we know, we sort of learn from mistakes, this learning on the job. So I'd say be really optimistic But be realistic and don't imagine that everyone else is finding it easier than you because everyone, I think, is struggling with with getting to know each other. Over a lifetime, it's not like you, you, after a few years you know each other because you're constantly changing and life is constantly changing. So you're constantly in a process of of having to get to know each other.
3: Yes, and there's certain stresses I think, that go into a relationship that really can change things. The bedrock of almost every problem I get, is communication. There are times where people get so emotional, they can't communicate because they're too busy defending their position.
2: Yeah. And we all defend ourselves and we all have sensitive places inside that we want to defend. No one necessarily gets this right first time. You get emotional about stuff and then afterwards, the real interesting thing is, why did I get so emotional about that? Because we are human and we do have messy sides and we're really competent at some things, but sometimes we struggle or we find things difficult and we're not our perfect tidy selves. And and that's the interesting bit. And if after a conflict or after an argument we can look outside and think what's happened, then we can learn something. We're not just going to go smoothly and never argue. That isn't realistic. So back to these couples who never argue... I don't really get it. I don't believe it. (laughs) I don't believe that they're not frustrated. Uh,
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the people who portray a fantasy life. It's not always about relationships, but quite often. Do you have any thought about what that's about? Because I don't really see it as helpful. I'm totally all for celebrating the good in life. There's people on social media that are just, it's it's all fantasy. Sometimes I know them and I know their real life isn't like that. But I wondered what your take on... Why do people need to portray this kind of perfect, unreal life?
2: I don't know. As I've got more onto social media in relation to my book, that seems to be the way people do it. So this sort of infectious culture of that. But like take parenting. I think it's a moment in life where the first time or any time you do it, if you do it, you feel really worried about how you're doing. And perhaps the, the opposite of that is to portray that you're doing it Okay, maybe if you can present an image of yourself doing it really well, perhaps that is an attempt to tell something to yourself. What is the worry underneath, I guess, is a question that therapists love to ask.
3: Yeah, the why and why would you need to? Because it seems to me that a lot of it is about you need the audience. There's something about... Would that give
2: the confirmation?
3: So I don't know, you know, going back to the relationship thing, is why they need to lie to themselves do they know they're doing it
2: maybe they do maybe they don't I guess what it makes me think is about how personal it is and I consider this a real privilege and responsibility of my job actually to to see what really goes on in people's relationships and it is deeply confidential it is deeply personal and you don't hear about that from other people maybe you know you hear from your girlfriends and you kind of moaning about your relationship or whatever but You actually, is so private that people keep this stuff very, very hidden and the messy stuff doesn't get out there. And that is actually why I wanted to write a bit, a bit to, to depict some of the mess so that people could get a bit of context. Because I think people come into my consulting room and think everyone else is having this perfect time and that they're not. Everyone else is finding it easier and they're not. They think I'm having this perfect time, as though I'm this person who doesn't argue or doesn't have any chaos. And of course that's not true, of course I do. I do think it's so private. It's the most private thing and it's such a big statement about yourself, your relationship, so maybe that is, it's just much easier to project a different impression of it. Yeah, I totally get that. But they seem
3: to go the other way, to actively say, you know some of the things that they do which makes other people feel really rubbish about themselves my whole thing is trying to make people feel better yeah. and it be inclusive so i find it quite alien my mum died not that long ago I'm and so i sorry did about <laughs> that. oh thank you but i was quite honest about my feelings on facebook which is where i'm the most open on social media because i have my privacy settings really locked down i found that gave me such a connection to people Because people were like, thank you for talking about this. You know, I don't have the words, la, la, la. I mean, I was careful about what I said, but I was authentic. And I think this kind of brings me back to what I was saying, which is that if you're not authentic, surely you're missing a connection.
2: Yes, an opportunity to connect. And I think people can sense that. But. I don't know. I'm still finding my way over the social media. The comments aren't authentic. There's something everyone's doing part of a game sometimes. And sometimes they are really authentic. The other thing it makes me think about it with relationships is weddings. You know, so you have this moment where everyone celebrates you and you presented in the best light. And maybe it's attempt to keep continuing mm. with this story of us, the story of us in the same way that people wish so their children, enjoy us, as though it will affirm things.
3: You see the sort of sharp end of things. I certainly do. And when I say to people, everyone feels like this, obviously that's a massive generalisation, but they say, do they? And I think, yeah. yes. I, you know, I've been reading these letters for 15 years. Yes. But of course not everyone has that. Not everyone no. has... Our jobs, where we get to see the underbelly. And that's why we wanted to do this really and talked about what is a real relationship. So it's normal to argue. Yes. It's also normal to feel other things as well, like intense irritation with your partner.
2: <laughs> yes. It's normal to feel hugely disappointed, irritated, angry the whole range by some it's normal to hate someone that you really love and by the way they're going to feel that about you as well and that's normal but of course that can make us feel really defensive and it's about learning how to look at these different feelings within a relationship and be more accepting I guess
3: yeah because the other thing as well which when we talk about expectations at the beginning of relationship we tend to be our best selves but actually Mm. as it settles down we bring all our history with us yes Even if we haven't had other relationships, but if we have, obviously, we bring all those disappointments and expectations. But we bring our family history, don't we? Maybe if you haven't seen someone argue, you think that's um, a failing because you never saw that or it might be frightening for you. But we have these family patterns that we bring to relationships.
2: Yes, and we don't necessarily even know that we've got them until we see someone else's. You grow up and you have a model of a relationship probably from your parents whatever that looks like and that's the sort of idea and maybe you want to copy that or you want to do something completely different but so often I have people coming in and say we just don't we don't have a model that that works for us we want to write our own model or someone's got a very clear idea and the other person's got a different one but you don't really notice that they're different until you start kind of coming up against it I
3: mean what do they mean by that what are they looking for
2: say their parents didn't stay together or they stayed together and they there was a really toxic atmosphere and so they say we've got a longing to have our own good relationship we don't want it to look like that though we're not sure what it should look like we don't know is it okay if we argue is it okay if we disagree does that mean we're in a bad relationship we don't know we actually haven't got a model of recovery here. Right I see. What was normal to them growing up is not what they want or they find that they're actually repeating something that was normal growing up and they're trying to to change that and realising that it's harder than they thought because as you say these things are really deep down and they're in there and they come to life in our Relationships—it's like they don't do them anymore. In the olden days, you'd get those painting pictures, and you'd add water to them, and the colours would like come to life. And it's a bit like that. I always think, sort of, in a relationship, you've got this sort of palette, this template, and then you get together, and then things start to come to life. The old templates become more the they're, they're happening, and. Either you're aware of them and and then you have a bit more control about them or you're not aware of them and they start governing things. And that's therapy slows that down to look at it and make more awareness.
3: Yeah, all the colours run into one and makes
2: a huge mess. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: I don't know if you have a sort of answer to this, but when you see people and things aren't going well, is there a common
2: theme? They so often say our issue is communication. That could mean a million different things. But I think the common theme is deeper feelings than they'd realised. Going back to what we're saying, coming to life, that ha, their deep hopes for the relationship and for their partner being frustrated. And actually, my five arguments I find to be the most common themes of, of people. Can you in, just run what they are for our Yeah, listeners. so the first one was communication, which I sort of call you never listen to me. The second one is Your Mother Drives Me Crazy. (laughs) But this is about families in general, actual families, families inside. The third one is workloads, arguments about who does what. The fourth one, arguments about comings and goings, separations, different feelings about being close, being apart. A bit more of a subtle one. And then the fifth one was sex as, as a presenting problem. Perhaps the really hardest one to argue about or even talk about. But those would be the five issues that come up so much and another common theme is parenting intensifying those issues I think mm. why is sex the hardest in your experience to talk about I think back to expectations I think different reasons I think there people have an expectation that perhaps if they're talking about it that means there's something really wrong mm. it's meant to be something that happens because of chemistry or attraction kind of magically spontaneously and so if you're having to talk about it, is that a buzzkill? Or is that a sign that there's something wrong? Then we might have our own inhibitions talking about it. Is it a taboo to talk about the way you've been brought up? Is it a subject that can be talked about at all or named? So it's just the hardest area really to talk about. And and I think we make a point of, of really trying to talk about it in the first session with a couple to give permission. Is it OK? You know, it doesn't have to be something that is on the, the side... This is all part of it because, yeah, it can either be reflective of other problems or is a problem in itself. Well,
3: I suppose it's really deeply personal. And because we don't really have a culture of talking about it, like you said, so there's no model for for that. And then we've done our sex um, episodes. Um, Silver, who's our um, sex therapist, he explained you can talk about what have for dinner, or you can talk about sex, and it's a sort of deeply personal, vital part of a relationship, and yet we're not really taught... See, that would be a good GCSE, wouldn't it? Oh my god, take. all
2: of this would be a good GCSE to take. I mean, we can always talk about what to have for dinner, or who's got to do what, but the, the sex stuff, all the intimate stuff, or why I'm annoyed with you, or why I'm upset with you, is so hard. How do you go from one conversation in your daily life into that?
3: Mm. And also, if you're not a skilled communicator, which most people aren't really, most people aren't. It's rare that you have a conversation that, if indeed it doesn't turn into an argument, that actually leaves you both on a level playing field. Sometimes one can feel resentful or there's things that aren't said, and then you've got to get on with your daily lives. It's really a minefield. I mean, I'm amazed anyone has relationships at all. Um, well, yeah, I am
2: too, as well, <laughs> though I'm also really optimistic about them. But <laughs> I think that's what people say when they come to therapy, that one of the main things is just the permission to go into that kind of conversation and the permission to come out of it. So it's held safely somewhere else because it's really difficult to do that in real mm. life.
3: So is it important to talk about your relationship, do you think? Is there such a thing as is it possible to just plod along and everything be okay?
2: As I said before, I don't think you can not have differences or not have issues that need looking at. And this is one of the brilliant things that arguments do, is that they give us permission to look at the relationship. Because if you can calm down afterwards and then almost get into this bird's eye view mode and say, what was mm. going on in our relationship there that made one or both of us feel so upset? Then actually the argument has given you this gift of having to talk about your relationship and learning something about each other because we're not attuned to each other. We have to learn to tune into each other and you can be married for, to someone for years and years. You can still make wrong assumptions about them, why they're doing something or, and vice versa. So you're constantly having to check in on that.
3: plushcare.com slash weight loss It's a bit like when I was doing the teenager podcast and I interviewed teenagers and one of them said something which really stuck with me which is that he found arguments really important with his parents because he felt things had already got really bad so he could say whatever he wanted and actually a lot of truth sort of comes out so I mean, I'm not saying in every argument, but actually it's quite important to pay attention. But sometimes in a big argument, you can say hurtful things. Yes.
2: Well, I think there is this thing, and maybe it's different, you know, an adolescent and a parent. But there is the kind of argument where suddenly it starts about one thing and then everything gets piled Mm. in. And then in order to get back to any place of... Of looking at what was that about in a curious way there's quite a lot of just first aid that needs doing and repairing and perhaps a bit of taking back some things that were maybe said or having to go carefully over all the things that were brought out of the history into the argument
3: yeah I think although I think a lot of truth can be spoken in arguments it's just what you do with it I mean sometimes truth can be expressed in a helpful way and sometimes it can be a bit bit brutal but I think we've established that a real relationship is hard work messy yeah. can be full of irritations and arguing is fairly normal I know in your book you talk quite a bit about what I'm about to say but growing up I used to read my mum's woman and woman's own and I remember once reading the most common reason they said for people to split up some amazing statistic was them are not putting the cap on the toothbrush you know and as a nine-year-old I remember thinking what a silly reason to split up But of course it wasn't about the cap on the toothbrush and you talk a a lot about this. And in my book that I'm writing, what I talk about a a lot is subtitles, what people say and what they really mean. Because sometimes we are our own foreign language film. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about that? Can you give me examples of things that you've seen, but the subtitles are actually really about something completely different?
2: Yeah. Let's just say that, that before we get to the subtitles, it is really difficult living with someone domestically harder than we think i think it's so hard it's so hard so there's that to start with but then it becomes this beautiful stroke awful stage for all the subtitles to be played out and the classic thing is things being left around or not done and that feeling like evidence of the lack of respect that someone feels or the lack of interest that their partner shows or the lack of care that their partner is showing, or the selfishness because they can't be bothered to do something. And that may be the case, or it may not be. Is it me or is it them? That sort of question. And perhaps the other side of it, people feel that they're just being nagged to do stuff and that it's too much, and and maybe they are, by their standards. But also, what's the subtitle there? Is that about not wanting to be in a relationship or that touching on a nerve? having been nagged when they were growing up, or not wanting to grow up and take on responsibility. We don't really know what the subtitle is, but all this domestic stuff has so much meaning attached to it. What else is there? There's driving, is a real one that comes up a lot. Driving. Oh, tell me more. I think driving is a tense area for being in a car, is a difficult area for a couple to be in, someone's in control. Someone's in, in the other person's hand. And I think metaphorically that, that can happen in a relationship. Someone's got to make a decision at some point. We've got to trust our partners. And so I think driving can be this very tense. I talk a lot about driving in sessions. It comes up a lot because I think it really stirs up strong feelings. But maybe the subtitles there are, I don't feel safe with you. Or, I don't trust you. Or, I think you're mm. irresponsible. Or I think you're controlling, nagging, overly cautious. Um, the subtitles are often "I'm right, you're wrong," sort of thing. There's this thing with couples of we are different, and a positive thing that can come out of all this mess we're talking about is accepting mm. that one of you is better at something yeah than the Tolerating other which is, the differences as well yeah, hard to do sometimes because it's, it's hard to accept sometimes, and some people find it easier than others that, that one person is better, but if it's like, great, I'm rubbish at na- navigating but you're really good, then that's great.
3: I remember years ago, someone said this exquisite phrase to me, which I've often thought about, and they were talking about the normal sadism of marriage. Right. And how how sometimes, you know, people do things to annoy the other. I mean, that's a subtitle. That's a a silent film, isn't it? Yes. But there's a subtitle there.
2: But uh, the thing is, sometimes they do do things to annoy each other, and, and, and we all do that. Sometimes... This is where the subtitles are helpful. It if, if depends who's writing the subtitle, the person
3: <laughs> doing
0: it or the exactly. person viewing it.
2: Because we might read our own subtitles into someone and say, oh, that is someone being really mean. But they're not. They're just maybe they just didn't even know. Mm. Yes, it's about
3: motivation, isn't it? You might imagine their motivation exactly. is one, which is based on you, but their motivation might be completely different.
2: Yeah. Very tricky <laughs> it's so tricky. I'll give an example. So this weekend, sitting watching telly, my husband sat down on the sofa in a kind of heavy way. <laughs> yeah, which annoys me because <laughs> I've got a sore neck at the moment. Yeah, sorry and, about your neck. And you know, he, I was sort of annoyed and, and sort of felt that that was a bit thoughtless. But of course. It wasn't really thoughtless. He didn't. He wasn't going out of his way to sit down cruelly. But if I wrote this up, yeah, there could be two subtitles. You're sitting down to be really cruel, or you just need to know that my neck's hurting. You know, it's this two-way thing. Yeah, of course. What What would he have written as his subtitle? I was just sitting down to watch the telly after a long day. Yeah. <laughs> like... But I'd be really happy to sit next to you. Or I, think, I was going to say maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm so like at last I can sit next to Joanna. Exactly. I don't know, and you can't just sort of unpack everything. But I, I just thought it was a good example of, yeah. Depending on how you're feeling, if you're feeling a bit fragile emotionally, physically, you might you might read the subtitle wrong. You, you might invent it yourself. Mm. No, I mean it's really
3: important because these are the little things in a relationship which are real, <laughs> but you don't really think about them until you're in it. And reality and fantasy is are two very separate things. And a lot of it is, like I said, blamed on films, especially the films that were available when we had Trust Your TV. Everything was perfect. You know, you don't know, you know, think about some of these programmes that are actually got really quite a dark side. All those kind of happy endings. Now I look at them and I think, really, well, I wonder how great that is now that she's given up her... Life for this man that she's met and gone to the other side of the world. I wonder how that really worked out, but we don't know that. And obviously, that is a fantasy. But what we're talking about is the reality,
2: which would probably make I think it would be riveting. And, and that, in a way, is my job. But those sort of everyday things that probably wouldn't make good telly. Just the kind of day in day out frustrations. Well, maybe they would.
3: They make riveting telly, but then maybe too real for some people. But how do we know in a relationship? As tipped from being real to dysfunctional or even abusive.
2: There's one line, I think, which is easy to work out, which is, is this a toxic atmosphere for the children? If, If you're having frequent, hostile, unresolved arguments, we've got evidence to show that that has poor mental health outcomes for children. So that would be a really strong factor in thinking this relationship, unless things can change is not a healthy one to continue because it's putting the children at risk but but so that's one thing to say uh, that, yeah if you don't have children if you if you're feeling unsafe if you're feeling at risk then that is a sign that that you need help i think is a start it's so personal how what you're what you can stay in but if you're not safe or you're at risk then that is a sign that maybe this is not a relationship that is working and either it needs to change or you need to end it that makes it sound as though it's a straightforward process. It's not. People get help and they try and work things out and, and they can or they can't. And I work a lot with that. I, It's so personal for each couple, really.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the the phrase I see, almost without exception, when I get letters from people and I think, this is not about being real, this is about abusive... Although there is something as else as well, which is when a relationship's not abusive, but it's just kind of run its course. But it's in t- talking about abusive relationships is the person says, I feel like I'm treading on eggshells. Now, having said that, I think we can all feel like that sometimes yes. if our partners are in a bad mood. But I think that thing of feeling safe is really important. You know, do you consistently feel yeah. that you can't voice how you feel? Do you fear for your safety? You know, yeah. are you being questioned? Are you being told something's not right? You know, those are. I mean, that is a whole separate subject. I'm not.
2: I think it is. Yeah. Even
3: gonna try and you know cover that. Do you know when it's just got too real and actually it's turned into time to go?
2: What do you mean? People come to me.
3: And uh, yeah, we talk about things being real, irritation, subtitles, arguments. Yeah, but what about? Do you ever sort of get a couple, and you think <laughs> it's over for you?
2: People always curious of that. Do you do you know? I mean, I think if there's, I think a couple are coming to me because they're trying to see if they can change it. So I mm. have to have a really open mind, and I do have a really open mind. I've no agenda to keep them together or have them separate unless there's safety issues if nothing can change and there's no there's nothing enjoyable left nothing that is to be enjoyed then you think what is going on but still people can find it difficult to leave um but there's no sort of threshold everyone has their own threshold yeah I mean so what looks really unbearable for one person might be fine for someone else I think that that being in therapy is a mirror to that because if, you know, it might be the first few sessions it keeps being difficult, but then something might change. But if after a really long time of just, you keep seeing that you're the same and a couple can't find, and that's not a a failure, it's that, that, that something can't improve and that they both don't want it, then yeah, the mirror shows that that's not what they want. What do you think about when people say don't go to bed on an
3: argument? I think if it's worth arguing over, it's worth sleeping on. What do you think about that?
2: It, it, it definitely might take a night to calm down in order to then look at it with a better mind the next day. And so I agree with you on that. What I think, I think what isn't good is to have an argument right before you go to bed because then you won't sleep and then you'll be in a bad mood the next day and you're not going to get any better or you're going to have, it's going to prey on you. So I think we all take different time to recover. Some people can, and again, that might go back to kind of conflict styles growing up. Someone might feel much more devastated by an argument than another person and they're ready to have the conversation and the other person needs two days to get over it, sort of thing. And that does frustrate people, and that's something you can come to know better about each other. But no, I don't think... Sometimes it might, as you say, maybe it's worth sleeping on. Maybe it takes a bit of time. It's uncomfortable in the meantime, but if it then never gets attended to, that's a problem. If you sleep on it and then never go back to it. Why is that a problem? Well, you'll probably end up having the same argument again if you don't go back to it, I suppose, Maybe it will subside, but maybe it will find its way. Mm. I suppose it's knowing what you're like together and
3: as individuals. I take a long time to think about things. The the letters I work on take weeks of thought and care, and I'm not a quick thinker. And so I suppose it depends on really the sort of person you are. I personally have always found it a bit inauthentic, to use that word again, of people who just sort of make up and say so. It reminds me of... Adults saying to children, say sorry, there's no meaning behind it. Do you know what I mean? If you just go, oh, sorry about that, there's no resolution. And so I think that's something else that's really unrealistic. If you have an argument, you might need time to think about it. Depending on what you've argued about, it might be much more realistic to take really a couple of days and, you know, these sort of sayings that I just think aren't really particularly helpful.
2: Um, I agree, because then, then also you might be able to feel a bit less defensive and reflect on on how you came across as well or you're sort of part of it or, or a bit safer I think that there's sort of licking your wounds and then thinking about what you've just reflecting in all in all directions what did your partners do that made you feel so upset what did you do that maybe made them feel upset I think sorry is another GCSE we could do with, or, or perhaps that's just part of the communication GCSE. Mm-hmm. Which is that I think there's a really helpful kind of sorry that I've seen couples do, which isn't, I'm sorry I said the wrong thing, which is the really hard sorry to do. But I'm sorry that when I did that, I had that impact on you. Or I'm sorry that when I said that, it upset you, which I think is an easier sorry for people to say and actually does a lot of, It validates the other person. It it takes the argument away from who's right and who's wrong, which is often what arguments are about, which isn't that helpful. And it widens into acknowledging the impact you have on each other. Yeah, that's really helpful. um, Which is a much more interesting way to have a relationship, I think, than to ask the question, what is the impact we have on each other, than who is better or who is right. Hard to do all the time, but... Well I think it's hard to do in a couple relationship if
3: you're sometimes one person is always one that's apologising and saying sorry generally is really hard for people and I think a confident well-delivered apology is massively healing but also a really confident thing to do. Obviously you have to mean it. Unfortunately when people can't apologise then you're in a cul-de-sac aren't you?
2: Yes that's difficult and if that keeps coming up as as an issue that's maybe a bit of a of a red flag as they say and I think it has to be safe to say sorry because if you say sorry and the other person jumps on it then it's not really going to make you want to do it again and I actually think so lots of people say don't argue by text or don't talk about difficult emotional things on the, on messages and I just think sometimes that can be quite a helpful place to do some of that repair work mm. or in written or because it gives you a bit more space it just creates a bit more reflective space of course it can sometimes be misinterpreted or read the wrong way or bad the wrong subtitles but it's how do you make these conversations a bit safer that is what i mean when i say communication is an argument we need to have which is that we actually have to learn how to communicate tailored to our relationship
3: yeah and also our, our sort of forte because some people aren't very good on text and can seem yes. very curt. Yes. And other people are really good at it. But I think we have all these ways to communicate, and maybe we we can use a few of them. Certainly start a conversation. But I think ultimately, pro- probably sort of face to face is best if you can. I mean, I suppose texts and the emails take can take the heat out of it. Yeah. So you can go back and read it. And I don't know about you, but I've read written communications sometimes years afterwards. I find them again, and I think. Oh, I read this completely
2: differently now. Yeah.
3: So I suppose they can be helpful, but ultimately, if you're in a relationship with someone, you do need to actually be in the same room with them and talk to them.
2: Yeah. I'm also aware, as a parent myself, that you know sometimes it's really hard to just be able to have these really personal conversations at home when there's kids around and you're getting into stuff. It's also about having those conversations in a in a sort of adult space and sometimes on a phone might be more adult. Mm. It's just trying to think about where the kids are when you're also having these yeah, conversations. I think that is a really good point actually
3: because sometimes these things kind of blow up when you least expect them to. And you know, I'm quite often try and say can we pause now and have this conversation later because not only do I think you have a bit of breathing space, but I think it's quite damaging to children. I suppose it depends what it is. Again, it goes back to that if they have seen their parents arguing in a healthy, safe way, you know, you don't want to always be talking each other and sort of through.
2: No, and they, you know, and then maybe those kids are the ones who, who aren't going to come to therapy and say, we've never seen anyone resolve an argument, well, where do we start? Because they have, actually. They've seen their parents disagree. They have an understanding that people disagree And then they can move on or they can resolve it. So, yeah, it's not about shielding children from any conflict at all. It's the appropriate kind. So to
3: conclude, real relationships are difficult, messy, hard
2: work. Why do we have them? (laughs) Because they're so rich as well and there's so many good feelings. And actually even, you know, the hard work is satisfying and the intimacy that can come from discovering through the mess about what people are really like. We're all these people who have our different sides, our more mm. messier sides, our more needy, fragile, and are more competent. And, and in any relationship, there's those different things. How great to be in a relationship where you can know all the sides, that it's not just the, the sort of competent bits, n- knowing each other, but... So there's a richness to, to being in the mess together and finding ways through it and developing together and learning off each other and having someone to trust you know trusting that you come out the other side of conflict so that sounds lovely
3: brilliant Joanna thank you ever so much I hope anyone listening looks at their relationship through new eyes now and also looks at certain social media posts through new eyes as well
2: thank you oh thank you for having me
3: Thanks to Joanna Harrison. I hope you found this conversation reassuring or maybe it clarified that the relationship you're in needs looking at. Do get a hold of Joanna's book, Five Arguments All Couples Need to Have, published by Souvenir Press. If you'd like to learn more about Joanna and her work you can go to her website joannaharrison.co.uk and she's on Instagram as at joannaharrisoncoupletherapy. This episode concludes Series 6. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in the new year with Series 7. If you have any ideas for topics, do please write in to us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com The producer is Hester Kant, the music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Lo Cole. If you'd like to read my column, it appears every Saturday in The Guardian Saturday magazine. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in, so much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free, so if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our Acast supporter page and give what you can.
0: You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.